What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode 20 of the Backpick Podcast. I'm your host, Brett Thomas. Today's guest is Michael McHenry, former Major League catcher and current member of the pre- and post-game show for the Pittsburgh Pirates. Michael talks a lot about what he did to gain an edge and make himself successful, but most importantly, he talks a lot about mental toughness. He talks about the importance of failure. He talks about the importance of dealing with adversity. It's a great episode for all our young players out there to really understand the value of failure and how to work through it. I hope you guys enjoy it. The Backpick Podcast and the Catching Academy are happy to be partnered with All Star Sports, who we think does the best job of taking care of catchers. You can go to their website and use our code CATCHINGACADEMY10 and get 10% off anything site-wide. So fun fact, uh, in doing some research on you, uh, I was born on March 4th, 1986. You little young buck. (laughs) You youngster. It's like the first thing I saw. I look on your Wikipedia page. It's like March 4th, 85. I was like, holy shit, this guy. We're like literally one year apart. Oh, so no. Did we get a freeze already? Oh. There it goes. There it goes. Oh, it's, good. it's good. It's good. It's good. Yeah, that, that's for call me older. <laughs> the baseball gods came down and just dropped it on you like, nah, ah, nah, not here. <laughs> well, uh, that's cool. I, I guess we're kind of connected in a weird way now. Yeah, it's awesome. I guess yeah. it's, a, it's a catcher thing. No but, doubt. Um, so, first of all, maybe one of the greatest nicknames of a catcher of all mm-hmm. time. I mean, Fort McHenry, does it get any better than that? Mm-mm. Talk about kind of what that means and, and signifies because, you know, obviously we can have a lot of different nicknames that mean nothing and stats and everything, but like that obviously like signifies a lot of your persona as a catcher. Yeah. I mean, prior to that, I was called Quadzilla. It could have been douchebag. It could have been anything. <laughs> right. But they came up with Fort McHenry and I'm, I'm in a pirate's uniform. Bob Walk is a huge history buff and a military buff. So he deemed me Fort McHenry the way I blocked the ball. And I took a lot of pride in that. Um, ever since I was a kid, I was always told nothing gets by you. And I didn't realize that that was any other way, but don't let the ball get by you. So, um, he put that on me and learning more about it and some of the things that have happened over my life because of that. So they deem me Fort McHenry, the K replaces the H in my name to the actual Fort McHenry where the star spangled banner was written, which humbles me even more mm-hmm. because I mean, that's such a huge, significant day in our history it's when the star spangled banner was written our flag stayed we're getting bombed by britain and that fort holds so i always took pride in keeping the ball in front of me staying on the field said you have to drag me off or i had to die to come off the field and i felt like i did a pretty good job of that throughout my career and i guess the coolest part is in 2011 when i got the nickname i actually got to go to fort mchenry in baltimore and raise the flag well, wait, really? Yeah. So, wow, that is awesome. yeah, just really, really special. And being a huge military buff, a guy that gives back to a lot of our service members, people that serve just have a special place in my heart. I feel like if I didn't play ball, it's exactly the direction I probably would have gone because the team, the camaraderie, we have a lot of uh, overlapping things when it comes to the team aspect and the love that we have for our teammates. And I've gotten really close with a lot of those guys. I've seen some really tough things um, and in their lives and their families. I've seen some guys that have really struggled with addiction, suicide, uh, a lot of different mental health issues. And just being able to have some some little, little thing, even if it is a nickname, to be tied back to the men and women that served our country is really special to me. So I'll never take it for granted. I'm running with it. It's, it's everything to me, I, I think. Greg Brown and Bob Walk, when they did that, they they have no idea how special that was for me. That's freaking cool, man. I know the um, just that like perspective of that too. Like it's always something that can kind of ground you and like the perspective mm-hmm. of like you know, hey, we're in this battle of a baseball game, but the reality is like you know, there's much much bigger battles going on. And yeah. I think that's a, a great message in general. Is just hey, like just we're playing baseball. You know, we're at the end of the day, like let's have some fun and and leave it all out there, but. There's people out there battling for us to have the opportunity to do this. Yeah, it's not life and death. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one thing I did learn from them, I did some training with them and, and did some mini bud stuff, not, not as extreme, but I wanted to understand their mindset. And what I learned was if you can get to that extreme thinking, it can take you to, to a level you'd never imagine. And I think as a catcher, as a leader, you have to be able to look beyond and, and find whatever it is to motivate you, to put you in that right mindset, to keep that discipline, to keep those habits, to move forward. And I think they have it all kind of ironed out the right way. Obviously, it's because they are fighting for life and death. 
But when we go out there, as you play this game longer, you're fighting for your life or death in the game. And I think you should try to find a way, whether it's extreme as I went or, you know, you're extreme. you got to find that balance to where, okay, what am I willing to do? Am I willing to put in that work? Is that really the goal that I'm going to strive for? Because a lot of kids nowadays that I work with and even pro guys that I work with don't even understand what it would take to get there. And they're not looking at how fast to be taken away. Talk about the extremes that you went to and, and, and the, the, what you put into the game and being an example of that. So um, I'll use Tyler Matzik as a, the best example of extreme because he went further than most people would even imagine. Tyler Matzik plays for the Braves, just signed a two-year deal, won the World Series. Um, they called him nutsack because in the World Series, he went out there and just dominated. It, it looked like he had the slowest heartbeat ever and ice in his veins. And this is the guy three years prior had the yips. And one of my buddies that was a SEAL also had the yips, Jason Kuhn. You should look him up. So in the solutions, yipsfree.com, absolutely outstanding human being. I get to be a part of that journey with him um, on the baseball side and, and kind of that battery mate side because he was a pitcher, a SEAL, and I was a catcher. We just kind of hit it off a long time ago. So I started training with them just here and there for fun. And then I asked, hey, I'd, I'd love for you to try to break me, see see what it's all about, and found out that I broke not by the physical but when they actually brought out a buddy of mine and just dominated him on the hill, on the hill, up and down, dude's throwing up, not feeling good. And I could not finish the task at hand to make it stop. I was so focused on him hurting. I couldn't focus on my task. And I realized that was my biggest kicker. That's what I needed to figure out. I had to maybe, some people said, be more selfish. I didn't like that term, but I had to be somebody I wasn't to figure out how to be the best version of myself. So we brought in Tyler. He came in and he was all in. You have to be all in. You have to buy into these things to really want to do it. And he came out and we just destroyed him for about four days. We did everything we could to try to disrupt his rhythm, his timing, his mindset, his breathing, whatever have you. I mean, we had bullhorns. We, we had him shoot through his old jerseys, old writings and articles on, on uh, targets. We did a lot of different things to just disrupt everything. And everything he did, everything went wrong. Nothing was going right. And that's the whole purpose because so often we train for everything to be right. Oh, we have to hit before we work out. We have to throw before we work out. We're never tired. We want to optimally recover all these things. We have to have the perfect ball, the balance. We have to have the absolute perfect tack on our hand, whatever have you. <laughs> the reality of it is once you play the game, your batting gloves rips, you're sweating, you're cramping. You got to figure it out. And that's the coolest part is he learned how to adapt. He learned who he was and learned a whole new version of who he could be just because of that training. And he was willing to look the tough stuff right in the eye. And I think that's where it all starts with those guys being able to say, I'm scared to death, but I'm going to keep walking forward and see what happens. And I'll adapt as I go. Yeah. It's interesting because the game is definitely at the highest level. The game has definitely changed. Right. And it's like, yeah, there's a part of it where it's like, I want everybody to be bigger, stronger and faster. Right. Mm -hmm. But like at the end of the day, you know, we've got to be able to, get a hit when we need to get a hit and like we got to be able to make the pitch like when one pitch is not working we got to move to the other one like when I don't feel good how do I you know punch that ground ball in the forehole to figure out it's like there just used to be like when I was growing up watching baseball there used to be an art of like figuring out a way to get a hit and it's not like obviously we grew up in you know I grew up in the steroid era of like there was a lot of home runs and everything too but like just like guys were so into batting average and like getting hits, almost like addicted to getting hits. So it's like you almost lose the mental training because you're telling guys it's okay to to not succeed sometimes trying to do something extraordinary instead of just getting the next guy up. I, I, I honestly think the mental training is almost the problem. All the, all the deep breathing, overthinking um, comes a lot from these mental skills coaches and, and instead of going out and just going to fail and figuring it out, find the win today. And I think. The reason why I say it's a lot of their problems, I, I had some great mental skills, mental toughness coaches, mental conditioning coaches, whatever you want to call them. But the ones that were the best said, go figure it out, period. Go win today. Go win the at bat. Go win the situation. And where does that start is the problem. They never do this to you anymore. Where are you at? Are you, are you a good self-evaluator? Hey, you can't hit this guy. Everything on the analytics sheet, and, and on your player card says, you're not going to hit today. How are you going to win today? Well, 0 for 3 with a walk. I just won. 
You know, I didn't go zero for four. Then the next day, I'm able to hit that guy. I'm three for four with a line, with a lean at a shortstop. It's finding those little wins and saying, "Hey, maybe I should work on bunting just in case I can't hit for a week." Because everybody goes through that. Sometimes it's two weeks. I went through half a season where I couldn't hit, and I think we've lost that comp- competition side of baseball. We, we've we've focused so much on optimizing the human being and the movements and the velocity and the bat speed. All these things are so important, but the reality of it is when you look at a guy's career, you're going to look at all of it together. And if you can be elite in one area, so you have elite bat speed, great. Or you have elite exit velocity, great. Now, can you have somewhere in the range of average contact? Because that's going to make you even better. And we don't look at it in that sense. We're always chasing the optimal thing. We're not all Aaron. Aaron Judge, we're not all Stanton. We can't all be superhumans. We have to find the balance, find our wins. And I think the game's starting to even itself out. But if you can do that, especially at a young age, learn how to compete and, and really control the barrel and do some things really nicely at the plate and understand the game out in front of you, play to the situation. I think you have such an advantage going into pro ball and into college because a lot of times you're playing against a sheet of paper. It, it's it's already deemed, you know, three, four, five innings in, two rotations of the pitcher, all these things are already planned out and the gut feels dying. And we just saw who won the World Series, right? Who was the GM? Chris Young, former player, really, really smart dude, understands both sides, new school, old school. And then Bruce Bochy, right? He goes, first thing he does, goes out and gets Bruce Bochy. And then even the guys he signed are, are a mixture of understanding the new age and the old age, but they're all competitors. And that's the biggest difference in the game today is we're not just going out competing failing, learning from that failure and taking a step forward. Yeah. I mean, that's a great point. I mean, like, you know, Simeon Seeger, like they're guys that want to play oh, every single day. You know you what want I mean? To jump like, on a field with them right now. Like, for sure. They, yeah. They're, they're, no, they're just absolute grinders. Such a great point. Yeah. And I think from the catching aspect too, you know, <clears throat> we lose a little sight of the, the offensive piece a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, everyone, you know, tell all my guys, I'm like, Hey, you know, what's the best way to get on the field? And they're like, well, like, manage my pitchers or but and I'm like no bro like we got to hit like we have to hit <laughs> yeah like that's literally it right like I want you to be good at defense because now when you're struggling a little bit and you're in a little slump and you go one for 12 you're such a good defender coach can't take you out of the lineup and then you go seven for 12 and all of a sudden we're back right and it's like there's just not enough of the idea of like getting hits which just absolutely it's like just drives me nuts where guys are like oh yeah my exit velo today I, I got my you know I'm like dude I don't give a shit like I really don't <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, I don't care like it's just like same thing my pop time I'm like dude how many guys do you throw out I don't care what your pop time is do you does it translate do you actually throw guys out right so like as the game I feel like when you were playing you were like right in the middle of like the legit shift of the game mm-hmm. you kind of there was like a little bit in like the early 2010s you know but like that mid 2010s was when like okay now we had like openers and like the amount of bullpen guys Talk about that from a catching standpoint and and then we'll we'll reach an offensive standpoint. But the idea of like catching and you might catch five guys that night, as opposed to like the old school day was like, you know, guy goes six or seven, you got the eighth inning guy, the ninth inning guy, and you kind of knew what to predict. Now it's just so many guys. How do you manage that? So I was blessed to be a part of that when it all originated with Tampa Bay, and nobody really understands why it started. It's because they had so many arms, they were trying to balance out the workload. And then they came up with this idea of the opener or the starter, however you, however you want to deem it. Um, it's just naturally a bullpen day, but they, they had it all planned out. And they had it all planned out to the, to the extent that I ended up closing two games when I was in AAA my last year while we were winning. I was closing the game. <laughs> and that's how much they care about these guys. That's how much they kind of watch their workload. I have a whole idea and thought on that. I hate it. I don't think we find a threshold with guys anymore. So, I mean, the best ability is availability. We have more guys going to the DL than ever before, especially with Tommy John. And the technology is better. The numbers are better. The understanding is better. And the equipment and the personnel are better. And we're still having more injuries. That's a side note. Um, It's different. But I I think the advantage goes straight to the pitcher. I mean, you know how hard it is when when you have to face – whether it's a uh, inner squad or in spring training, you're facing guys, you know, every single time you go up there, someone new. Luckily, you have the information. You can kind of see what's out in front of you. You just hope that you get the guy that's not pitching that well. 
or someone that you match up well against. If it plays out really, really well to the team that's actually doing the opener, they're going to actually plan it out almost to a T where you come in that lefty that looks just absolutely scrumptious jumps out and you're facing a righty with a nasty sinker and a really good slider and changes everything. Or maybe there's a double play situation. That's when they bring in that guy that has that high ground ball rate. There's a huge advantage to it. Uh, I, I do like it a lot. I, I think it'd be a great balance if they wanted to stretch these guys out, do six days, you know, five starters, one opener. I think that's kind of where they've pushed everything, the way that they're training these guys. We don't see guys run a lot anymore. We don't see guys go on a 30-mile uh, road bike, which I used to do with a lot of the starters that I, I trained with back in the day. They just don't build up their engines the same way. And then in the minor leagues, especially not so much in college, I think in college, they do an incredible job of letting these guys go. They, they, hey, that's a thoroughbred. I'm just going to let him be. And he's going to tell me when, when he needs a, needs a break or a drink of water or whatever. And I always go back to Alan Yeager. He talks about, you know, when you play catch and I use the term, it's like walking a dog. The dog will tell you when it's ready to come home and just like your arm. And I, I think we've done a terrible job as a community trying to put reins on these wild animals and put them in cages. And if you look at a lion that's outside the cage, opposed to the lion that's inside the cage, that lion outside the cage is terrifying. It's bigger, it's stronger. It's because it's had to adapt. It's had to fight. It's had to figure some things out. These cages that they're putting these guys in is not working. It's not helping. And that's part of the reason all the opener and everything happened is because they were trying to control so much. It just happened to work out to their benefit because it's going to be hard to hit five guys that should be in the back end of a bullpen you know you're facing them early in the game it devastates you you're 0 for 1 immediately because you're facing 98 with a nasty slider immediately and then they bring in you know maybe a starter throwing 88 nice change up just completely destroyed right out of the gate yeah it's interesting how do you when you're catching in that situation and i don't know how, if you have that situation but the idea of like just also managing yeah the different changes and and obviously you got to change the different pitches you're seeing, you know, the the different personalities you're dealing with. Talk about just as a catcher, you know, managing, you know, four, five, six personalities in a game. Get through that. So you use the right word, personality. Uh, we're, we're always focused on philosophy. I, I called almost every game of my career to the guy's personality. So everything can be right on paper. Like, oh, we have a great matchup, but you can see that guy's anxiety levels up. So the fastball is just not playing the same. So the change up is something that brings him back in the zone, slows him down, and calms him down, and he trusts it. So we may throw 16 in a row. I'll tell you right now, there's nobody on the planet thinking a guy throwing 98 is going to throw 16 in a row. I did that with Tommy Canely. He gets the Nationals in his first close. It's the first time he ever closed a game, and he has Ryan Zimmerman, uh, Bryce Harper, and uh, Ian Desmond, the first three guys he faces. And uh, Zimmerman hit two homers that day. When Zimmer hits two homers, that means he can hit anything you throw at him. So what did we do? We walked him to get to Bryce Harper. Everybody thought Yeesh. I was nuts. But <laughs> I saw the matchup. It was better. I knew he'd feel more comfortable having that huge window open because he was missing arm side. And it was all because of his anxiety and because he was high strung and was a psychopath who you want to have out there as a bullpen guy. So I always say, call the game to who that person is and how you know them and then adapt from there. And then always stick with the thing that gives them confidence and conviction. It doesn't matter if it's right or wrong. Just tell them where to miss instead of, hey, make a good pitch. Well, duh, I'm trying to do that. No. Hey, let's try to really focus down in the zone. Miss down, let me block and look cool. Just make sure that they understand, hey, this isn't the best pitch. I believe in you. You're, you're right. I'm wrong, period. Get it down the zone. And you really just play to that guy's personality constantly, and that's all that matters when it comes to calling the game first off and then the situation for me. And that conviction is just—that's uh, the biggest. It's like huge. Yeah, and, and I, this is you're spot on. I love this because it's just the idea of like we, every guy's got like a sequence of how he wants to throw every hitter. Mm -hmm. It's like mm -hmm. yeah, well, like if we had a pitching machine up there, that'd be great. You know, we'll, we'll do that. <laughs> you know, but it's like we don't, and we got to pitch to that guy's strengths. And so, talk about building the relationships and trust with those pitchers to in that situation that he's confident in you when you do call those pitches? It starts in the bullpen for me. And I, I feel like I don't see enough guys catching bullpens anymore. And you don't necessarily have to catch them. Just go. Just go sit there. Go sit and watch it. And bring out the other guys, whether it's the other catcher or whatever. And then 
every single second you're not playing, be right next to the pitching coach during the game. So that way you are hearing the game planning, you're hearing who he wants to bring in, who he's talking to the manager about bringing in, and then you'll see who's actually making the call. Like I, I had teams where the manager would just go pick up the phone, Clint Hurdle, and make his own call and, and say, hey, get up Joe Bimel. All right, well, Joe Bimel's getting up. He wasn't even supposed to get hot that day. Hurdle didn't care. He knew Joe Bimel could handle it. So you have to kind of learn how to manage the game, watch the game. You're the only guy that's not on the field to play that's actually active. And I love that because I think that kind of proves the point that you're extension of the coaching staff. So spend a lot of time with them. Spend a lot of time with all the guys you can, whether it's, you know, outside the ballpark, at the ballpark, and let them talk. Ask the questions and let them speak. Don't speak at them. Let them speak to you. And you want to make sure that, hey, I value you, I value your opinion, and be like, hey, can I make a suggestion? And if they say yes, you make that suggestion. When it works, they're going to build that confidence and that trust. And then the biggest thing is just show how much you care by you know, throwing yourself out there, blocking balls, working hard, being, being aggressive, aggressively aggressive in everything you do. And I, I think if you do that, they're going to gain that trust and they're going to be able to make that pitch 0-2 in the dirt with a runner on third base and, and believe forever. So what happens when the GM makes a call to the bullpen, though, and you don't know what's going on? You adapt. <laughs> you, you figure out, which, which happens more often than not. Uh, there's a lot of people in a room that make decisions that line up maybe the first five to six innings. So they, they have different scenarios. If this happens, if this happens, third time through the order, we're going to pull this guy because he's not as good. And you have to be adaptable to that. You, they may bring in somebody, and, and you're like, dude's just not on today. Yeah, on paper, it looked great, but I'll never forget. One of my really good friends, his grandmother died right before we went out there. For me, when bad things happened, I played better. It gave me a perspective. For other people, it's the exact opposite. You lose focus of what you're trying to do. I knew this guy was going to lose focus. It was his world. And we went out there. I told my pitching coach the situation. We kept him out there way too long. He ended up hurting himself. It pretty much ended his career. Mm. And it's just seeing the human being first. I think we, constantly are in a struggle now of too much information analytics taking over the actual face of the human being some number instead of actually seeing that human being and seeing hey this dude's wincing out there he's not okay like let's let's focus on that trust what you see instead of what's on paper prior to the game because the whole point of coaching is being able to do that in game in real time if you can't i don't think you're doing anything but reading a piece of paper and following directions so how much of that right now is going on where you have like the battle of the the manager and the GM and <clears throat> and that idea of like, you know, basically like what our projected plan is and then like the guy who's on the field that does have that feel of where guys are at or, you know, you can obviously, I mean, we've all looked at a guy on the bench and been like, dude, that guy's got zero chance right now. Or we looked at a guy go, God, I want that guy <laughs> in the box, right? I mean, like, mm-hmm. you know, but the but the but if the guy in the in the booth is making the decision, it's like, He's just, it's like, he's playing, you know, a video game. Like I'm just putting in the, this guy and, and go. Yeah. And there's so much information they don't know. I mean, how many times a guy's has a, a, a rolled, a rolled ankle from batting practice, you know, just these little things that can really devastate your swing or, you know, hurt your chances to succeed. And it's trying to find that balance. And I think the best teams, Atlanta, Texas, um, that there's quite a few that do a great job of having a lot of information, being able to uh, decipher it through to the, to the player, to the coaches, and then go out there and trust what they see and have a balance of it. Make educated decisions, but also understand that like the person right out in front of them, um, every decision they make with that person matters. So if, if you pinch hit for a guy, it has a consequence, right? Especially if he's a good player, or even if he's not. I'll never forget. I'm two for three with, with an absolute mega homer in LA. I'm a youngster. It's my first full season. Just made my first opening day roster. I hit a ball off the speakers in LA, which is a long ways. It's my second start. And they pull me, they pinch hit me. Mm. And like that hurt. Yeah. Next time out, I tried to do more. For well, sure. There's a huge consequence there. And that's <clears throat> what's really not thought about is like sometimes letting a guy get through his his own jam, a manager going out. And I remember Derek Shelton do this a couple of times the last couple of years. He'd go out and say something and then just leave. No change, no anything. And watching the elevation of that guy was remarkable. It almost happened every single time because he's like, dude, 
dad believes in me. And I think the head coach is the dad of the team. Dad believes in me. Everything goes up. And I think you just have to read that and balance that. And I think the best teams are doing it in Texas being one of the better ones. Tampa Bay does a really, really good job. I think it's because they're hiring, not necessarily because it's their format. I think they hired incredibly well and they have a balance there to where their pitching guy is one of the best on the planet. And he really does it incredible job of seeing the human being first and the the world's wizards is la la is the best at it period well i mean you can look at all the the you know the even the most recent champions right i mean you've got the the rangers and bochi and you got the astros with dusty baker another great team you know dave roberts and i mean all these guys that are like you know it's not like they're not analytical in that sense like they're they're using information but they're just using the information to enhance the people that are playing the game and i think that's the part that's just driving me nuts is like i have no problem dude give me all the info obviously i want all the information i can get Mm -hmm. but doesn't mean that the players need it and it doesn't change the fact that we're all human beings you know like we all have emotions and and feel things while we're on the field right go back to what you said a minute ago about Uh, having a pitching machine out there, like everybody has a sequence they want to go to. Well, it gets really predictable. You know, I, I watch a lot of baseball for a living. I have 16 cameras I'm watching, whether I'm broadcasting or I'm doing the pre and post. And dude, it's unbelievable. You can see it in HD. And obviously the game slows down when you're not on the field. But think if you were able to deviate just a little bit, everybody's getting the same information, right? You can go to baseball savant and really understand the percentage that guys are going to throw, the end zone rating and the count. So you can really start to narrow in your focus of what you want to do at the plate. If a guy's that predictable, Andy tips, because I think every single pitcher tips, if he's not tipping, the pitch, the catcher's most certainly tipping. And if you watch out there with the pitch comm now, you're going to see the middle infield move really early because they're getting the information so fast. So they actually move and they tip too. So there's a lot of things happening that can give you an advantage. And then all of a sudden you're being so predictable because of the sequencing. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, fastball up, curveball down. Oh, it matches well. It tunnels well together, right? Oh, I'm going to throw the, the sinker, the slider. Oh, because it matches well. Well, the best teams are doing things where they're, they're using shape to figure it out. They're using deviation to figure it out. So it gets a lot more complicated. So they have options. You know, you go into a game and you want to have options. And sometimes that sinker's cutting. Some of the best games I ever called were when things were just awry because I used what I had. I didn't tell the guy unless he could handle it. I didn't, I didn't tell Tyler Matzik that he couldn't throw a strike with a fastball, so he threw 64 change-ups that day, and he didn't even have a change-up, but it was a nasty sinker, and it worked, right? Yeah. There's six innings, and he had the yips right in the middle of it, and it's mm-hmm. just figuring out a way to win that day, and he had feel for that pitch. So you just run with it, and I think that's where the game gets so cool, and the best managers and the best players are able to use what they have that given day and, and, and find the win. They may not win the game, but they'll find the win. So the next time it happens, they're even better for it. Well, and um, the best, one of the best uh, presentations I saw at, at the ABCA was like, that's like probably 15 years ago now, but it was uh, a guy you played for, I think, Jerry Weinstein. My man, <clears throat> that's my mentor. He, uh, you know, he talked about how, how to get pitchers out with their pitch. And it was so good. He, he showed this, this uh, breakdown of, I think it was Kip Wells at the time you know, striking out uh, Pujols on a fastball. And it was like, you know, hey, how do we set them up to do that? But it's the idea that like right now it seems like it's like the it's like in the NFL, you know, they got like the the first drive is like always basically scripted. They always talk about like, oh, yeah, like basically like why do teams score all the time on the first drive? Well, they've spent the last week focusing on (laughs) what they're going to do for the first drive, but then they had to adjust. Right. And it's the same idea. It's like, okay, the first time we might be able to get that guy out because we have a good plan. But he's going to adjust to the plan, and we got to adjust with him. So I think just the, the, that whole idea of like every single battle within this game is completely different, that mm-hmm. we can't just be looking at – we can look at percentages and things, but at the end of the day, like we got we to gotta work within that moment and, and feel. You're exactly right. And too, like say Kip Wells wants to get him out with his pitch, but Pools was out doing early work, hitting that heater elevated knowing that that's what's coming and he throws him the one pitch he's ready for and that's being able to understand in the bat in the situation you know what's he looking for he just took two absolute hanging breaking balls that's weird right so i'm gonna go fastball up because he took the first two no i'm gonna throw another one see what happens Mm -hmm. you know make him make him show me something if he shows me nothing 
then like I just keep throwing to your strength and we stick with the game plan that we have, but we don't have to deviate. Too often I see guys completely take a right when the the guy's showing them, hey, I can't hit your slider. You just threw two terrible ones. I couldn't hit it. Throw a good one, he's gone. And the percentages go up as you throw bad ones. You're probably going to throw a good one the next one. So, yeah, I, I think too often we're not watching the game and, and seeing it unfold in front of us. Instead, we're so worried about getting to that next pitch or what what shapes well with this or what you know tunnels well with this or what the situation had said prior to the game. It just drives me insane sometimes instead of saying no. What's the situation saying now? Talk a little bit about playing for Coach Weinstein. Um, I didn't <clears throat> I didn't appreciate yeah, oh, I was yeah, gonna I, say you did play for him in Modesto I, though, right? I did, I did. Okay, I didn't yeah. appreciate it as much as I should have when I was there, but how much I learned was remarkable. We had a really tough pitching coach and Jerry never overstepped when it came to that. But instead of overstepping, he would tell me, you know, his thoughts on pitch calling and I had a battle. So it was a very tough year for me. It was a great learning experience. My wife's dad also passed away that year. Mm. And I'll never forget that Jerry and Hurdle and um, a lot of the front office called while I was at home. They let me go home for 10 days. I came back and just absolutely exploded because um, of perspective. And I think mm -hmm. a lot of times in the game, we fall in love with the game and we forget it's still a game. And when you make it your profession and you're getting paid for it, it really loses that, I don't know, little kid uh, love. I mean, we lose it. I think the game loses it. And we have to really find ways to get back to that. And when we do, we play our best. We enjoy it. And when bad things happen, a lot of times it gives you perspective. It shouldn't have to take that much, but sometimes what it was. But going back to that, Jerry was amazing during that time. He's been amazing ever since <clears throat> that day I met him in 2008. Um, pushed me in a lot of different ways. A lot of my theories and thoughts have come from him. And uh, I know if I called him tomorrow, he'd probably pick up and answer and you know, do anything he could to help me. Uh, he's a big reason why I retired, believe it or not. I called Jerry and I couldn't decide if I was going to retire. I, I kind of laid out a scenario of two teams I'd play for, the Pirates or the, or the Dodgers, because I was like, maybe it could be Kershaw's, you know, personal guy. catcher. Yeah. yeah. Be his guy. It's a great and job. <laughs> I have a chance to catch a no hitter and win a world series, which were two things I had on my list that I hadn't done. Well, they called and the deal just got better and better and better. I took an interview and did some mock pre and post games and some broadcasts ended up getting the job and they gave me a long time to figure it out. I called Jerry thinking this dude's going to talk me into playing. There's no doubt in my mind. Baseball rat. No questions to talk me into it. He's like, well, Michael, that's a great job. I just have one question. I was like, all right, shoot, Jerry. He goes, if you're analyzing somebody you're better than, are you going to be mad about it? I said, no, absolutely not. I'm not that egotistic. He goes, then take the job. I was like, what? What? You, like, don't play? He goes, no, your future's somewhere else. You'll see it as, you, as, you, as it unfolds. But you have a chance to figure it all out over the next five to ten years. Wow. I was like, cool. I mean, you're going into year seven. I'm going to coach eventually. But I feel like what he said was so incredibly surprising that it hit me. And I was like, dude, see something in me that I don't see. I need to go figure this out. So I did. That's freaking cool, man. Isn't that cool? Well, it's just respect. I respected him so much. I didn't ask anybody else, just him, him and my wife. And I thought this dude will talk me into playing. And he didn't at all. He didn't even try. Wow. Is Modesto your only experience in California? Um, obviously I minus played, like, like living out here, being out, you played out here obviously, but yeah, just, I, yeah, actually living out there, but, uh, the PCL I played out there too. Oh, okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. Uh, my grandparents lived in Modesto and okay. like, it's like a, did you, uh, did you ever hit uh, Valley sporting goods on McHenry? I didn't, I should oh, have, man. if it was on McHenry too. What? Yeah. McHenry. Remember McHenry Ave? Yeah, I do. It's like the main main street down in yeah. Minnesota. Yeah. Dude, Valley Sporting Goods was like the best. We didn't have like really good sporting goods stores, honestly, down here in the Bay Area. Like we have one West Coast Sports, but when I would we'd go visit my grandma, like every like preseason, we'd go to Valley. That's where I'd like buy my cleats and do all that. I always, it's like told a special place in my heart. So I always ask people I bet. in there. I bet. It's like to a, Modesto. It, it was like Christmas when you walked in there, I'm oh, sure. Oh, hell yeah. I loved it. It was the best. <laughs> That's outstanding. Um, so <clears throat> talk a little bit about you got, when you're in the big leagues, you know, you're, you're kind of in a, you know, backup catcher role, you know, you're, you're kind of trying to find your role. 
Um, I always like to hear just like, how do you manage that? Obviously there's a little bit more, like when we're talking about youth guys or college guys, they have a little more expectation of how do I get in the lineup every single day, as opposed to like, what's my role and, and embracing that role can maybe help me do that. Talk about just like embracing your role, um, you know, of being that guy. (laughs) It took time. Um, I was kind of in between. If you kind of look at the at-bats I got until I went to Colorado. Um, I, I got some weird at-bats. I pinch hit. Um, I, I kind of was the other catcher is what I, I deemed myself. Even when I went to arbitration, I didn't have any comps except starters because the way my numbers matched up. So it was really strange. I didn't know how to play with it, and I wish I would have had someone to tell me, like, just be the best version of you you can be and make that be a backup. And the reason why I say that is because it's easier to be a starter than it is a backup when it comes to the thought process. When you're a starter, you know, you're going to be in the lineup, you know, three out of four days more than likely, or say it's a weekend series, you're going to be in the lineup Friday, Saturday, and then Sunday, that day game, you're not playing in college, um, whatever have you. I finally, when I got hurt in 13, kind of let go. And I said, I'm going to be the best backup in major league baseball. So I looked at my swing. I I looked at my movements. I just had knee surgery. So I had a lot of time on my hands. And I think when you have surgery or anything that kind of slows you down, it gives you a chance to really grow and and get really, I guess, finite with the details. And I did. So I changed my swing, um, kind of looked at where I could really improve uh, and what I could maybe let go of behind the plate going into uh, 2014, signed with the Rockies, ended up going to triple A to start the season actually asked to go to triple A. Um, they were thinking about putting me on the roster and I said, I'd rather go to triple A and, and play every couple of days, not play every day. They wanted me to play every day. Glenn Allen Hill was very adamant about that not happening. So I was already focused on playing, you know, two on two off. I pinch hit a little bit. I came in the game late, very similar to things I was doing in the big leagues, but I never got to do that in the minor leagues. So I went down there. I, I did really well. They called me up. And then I got sent back down. When I got called up the second time, um, I got back into my legs and I, I just really said, I'm not going to worry about hitting anymore. I'm going to love my guys. I'm going to serve them. And it was crazy, man, what happened right after that. It's like I said it to myself. And then the advanced scout came up and said, hey, will you run the meetings? And then our pitching coach and our bullpen coach kind of got into it and kind of let me run the bullpens when I wasn't playing. So all of a sudden I'm a pitching coach and a backup catcher and I'm raking, absolutely <laughs> raking. Isn't that and, funny how that works? Yeah, because I wasn't focused on it. I just was mm-hmm. so locked in on what I needed to do on any given day and I was focused on winning. And when I played, I won. I won way more often than everybody else that caught while I was, while I was in Colorado. And it's because that's my sole focus every single day. They called me the good luck charm. And I just took off with it. So in 14 and 15 is where I really felt like I figured out who I was and what I was trying to do. And that was win the day and win the, well, it's first win the pitch, win the bat, win the day. And then I can focus on hitting. So I did all my stuff in the cage. I was ready to hit. I was ready to pinch hit all those things, but everything that I was really in love with and enamored was making that guy 60 feet, six inches away, succeed on that on that given day. So I caught more bullpens, spent more time with these guys. I studied more and I literally ran the meetings with the, you know, the screen and all the numbers. I was running the meetings every time we went into a series. So that's when I really learned what it was like. And you have to go all in, you have to bet on yourself and say, this is what I'm going to be. You can't have any ego about it. It's like, I'm going to be the best backup. When I got my chances to start, it, it was a lot easier because the expectation was so low, right? Because I'm the backup not supposed to do much. When I pinch hit, I got better at it because I didn't think about it anymore because I'm not supposed to get a hit when you look at the numbers. So I just gave myself a different understanding of what it was. And I went out and did my job, but I focused on loving and serving more than I did actually trying to succeed on the field. And it's like a constant battle that we have with the youth guys where it's like, dude, I want you to be selfish in the sense of like wanting to be on the field and Mm -hmm. wanting to play. I mean, if you don't have that drive to do that, you're never going to be successful. But you do need to be a good teammate and you do need to find a way to help the team and all that kind of stuff. And like, just seems like we, we, you know, sometimes maybe, especially as catchers, we maybe, uh, you know, put too much emphasis on the, like, you know, 
be the team guy, be the everything. Because at the end of the day, like we were talking about, like we got a hit and like, that's a, that's an individual battle. Like that's a, like you versus them. We got to like build some confidence. So it's like balancing both of those. Obviously you were, you're at the highest level. Like you're trying to secure a job. You found a great niche, you know, to do that and be successful. But there is a balance of like, if you, if you still work your butt off and have confidence that you can play, but be a good teammate and do all those things, it's a hundred percent, you know, going to work in your favor if you can perform when you get the opportunity. And I think there's just too much of the, like, it's just one or the other. It's like, this guy's a great team player and this guy's selfish. It's like, well, the reality is I need a little bit of both out of everybody. Right. 100%. And it goes back to what we were talking about earlier on is <clears throat> looking at your situation. What's the goal? And most of the time when I talk to kids, parents, or even professionals, they don't have a true goal with the reality behind it. And then being able to line up a plan that, that goes somewhere, but then take it one step further. Are you willing to actually put in the work it's going to take to get to that? So sometimes that is being a guy that catches every bullpen. You're not going to play this year. Sorry. You know, you're not good enough. Well, that's okay. That means you have a lot more time to break down your swing. You have a lot more time in the cage. You have a lot more time with communication with your pitchers and your coaching staff and being able to really figure out who you are, who you want to be, and then maybe even finding something that can start to mold your identity at the plate, behind the plate, and with those relationships with the pitchers. There's an advantage to every situation, good or bad, if you look for that advantage. And I think so often our, our generation that we're working with now doesn't look at the advantage that they have right in front of them. You know, I'll never forget my freshman year. I crushed school. Well, I look back at it. I didn't play well. It's the first time I ever failed in, in college. And there's something really cool that happened for me there. Is I realized how good I could be at school, how efficient I could be, but I also took a ton of hours. So my junior year, I was able to really cut back and focus more on ball, be an All-American, get drafted. There's an advantage there if you're willing to do it. I did it because I was pissed off. And it worked out to my favor, but I always tell kids, look for the advantage that you don't see. There's an advantage in this very disadvantaged situation that you don't see. Use it to your advantage. And I promise whether you play ball or not, it'll give you something in the long run that you'll be like, dang, that was right. I, I'm really glad I did that. I didn't waste my time sitting and complaining and whining and all these things you can do play the victim instead. Take ownership of it. Take responsibility and run because if you're running, there's way more people staying back, not taking ownership, not taking responsibility, and that'll give you an edge down the line that they don't have, period. And that's where I think we, we really should take our focus when we're playing or a parent or whatever have you. We, we focus on what we can do. We control the, the, the little things that we can control, not what we can't, because we can't decide who the coach likes or who he gave a scholarship to or anything. All we can focus on is the day-in, day-out task to get better making that plan and are we executing, having good self-evaluation, taking ownership. If we don't, then it's our own fault. And we can look back and say, I, I messed up. And that's one thing I tell every kid I mentor, your career is your career. That's where the selfishness, in my opinion, comes in. Do not ever make an excuse that this coach or that coach or that parent or this parent, there's somebody with a way worse situation that had way more success than you could ever imagine that came through just turmoil after turmoil to get to the top of what they were trying to do because they had focus, they had ownership, and they took responsibility for everything, even though it wasn't their problem. And that's what you have to do. As we tell the kids, I'm like, hey, at the end of the day, if your goal is to play in the big leagues, you know, understand you're 15 years old and you're going to school for six hours a day and you're practicing for two hours a day. And there's a kid right now in the Dominican that's going mm -hmm. to school for two hours a day and practicing for six hours a day. Right. And it's like going to school two minutes a day. <laughs> yeah. Whatever it is. Right. But it's like, that's the idea that like, you know, you got to understand the situation and who you're competing with. Right. And I, mm -hmm. don't get me wrong. I'm not the like, you know, stop your life and only work. Like there's a huge, you know, piece of, you know, the social aspect, there's a huge piece of multi-sport athletes. Like there's a huge piece to all of that. But at the end of the day, it's just understanding your situation and realizing that like you're, you're so blessed and gifted to do what you do and work. Like we can all find that from the you know greatest situations to the worst. We can always find those. But at the end of the day, it doesn't fucking matter. Like, you know, <laughs> like, 
it's like you got to get there you got to be the guy you know like i don't know why i'm not playing because you're not as good as the guy playing like i'm yeah, not why? saying why? ask why like that, yeah that's that's a great example like you're not playing why mm-hmm. like be the coach and ask yourself why are you not playing if you can't answer those questions go ask someone else mm-hmm. get some feedback especially if you can get it objectively like someone that has nothing to gain nothing to lose that's the that's something that going back to the GM stuff is a problem with our game today. And that's why I love the college game. And if I did coach, I'd probably go into college because we have so many people willing to give feedback that is comfortable. And the best feedback is never comfortable ever, mm-hmm. ever, ever. And that's something that I think the game needs to shift on really fast. And it's because people have jobs and I, I get that side of it too. Like I understand that if you are underneath someone, you don't want to tell them, Hey, this is stupid. Let me show you why. Mm-hmm. But if you have an answer, I've learned this in life and in business and in, and in sports. If you have a reason, right, wrong, or indifferent, I think people respect you. But if you're like, oh, my hitting coach told me to do that. Don't say that. Don't ever say that. So, no. so spot Explain on. Explain why you're doing it because you're paying that dude. And he wants you to need him. So why are you doing it? What is it accomplishing? And my favorite thing is, what is the ball telling you? Because the ball won't lie to you. Everybody else will. This thing won't lie to you. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the greatest objective feedback you can get on a baseball field. You know, if you if you throw an absolute missile down to second base with true spin and it's just pretty and the guy makes a pretty tag and he's safe, everything you did was just right. Right? The ball just told you you're right. Mm-hmm. Don't let anything else lie to you. Oh, you weren't fast enough. That was a two zero zero. Who cares? Everything mm-hmm. else was perfect. Yep. So I think like what you said, like being able to ask the tough questions is really important. I don't think kids want to. I think they'll just change summer teams most of the time is what I've seen. Yeah, And you know what? Like, don't get me wrong. A lot of these, some of these coaches are very difficult and and not even qualified. Right. But at the end of the day, you said exactly what I tell all my students. You know, they say, oh, my coach says uh, I can't catch on one knee. Well, did you ask him why? Did you tell him why, why you're, why you feel that you have been improving by being on a knee? Like what we're doing? Like, Every time a kid comes in here, first time I go, here's the deal. It's super important to me that you understand the why of everything we do. So I need you to, if you don't understand something, you got to stop me, bro. Hold on, hold on. I don't get it because I need you to get it. And I'm going to try to reinforce it. I'm going to try to be very explanatory on everything that we do. So you get it. But at the end of the day, like that's your ammo It's like coach says, Mm. Oh, I don't like that. And you say, well, can you help me understand why? And like, can I help you understand why I'm doing what I'm doing? A you said it perfectly. He still might say, no, you can't do it, but he's right. definitely going to respect you more because you're listening, understanding your craft and you're trying to be better and, and continue to improve and be as a, you know, as a kid, as an adult, you're, you're developing communication skills that are massively important for how you're going to move forward and be successful. And, and the best part is find the win in that. So if you're mm-hmm. the kid that's not on one knee, you're going to have the strongest legs on the planet. Like, look for that little win. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I just went through this with my, one of my little protégés, and I just said, just do exactly what he says. And I said, there'll be a point where you're an upperclassman, and if you're hitting, they're not going to say anything to you. And he's at that point. And I was like, look, you're number four in the state of Tennessee catching-wise. Guess what? Now you're going to get to catch the way you want to. You're going to be able to do all the things you've ever wanted to do. Let's see if we can be number one or even better. But like he played that way and he just like said, okay, whatever. He didn't, his coach didn't like plyo balls. He didn't like all these things that we implemented. And I said, do them on your own, do them before you get there. I know it makes you feel better. And I know it makes your arm feel absolutely outstanding. You can find a way to like win, you know, but you got to respect the guy in front of you, respect the people that are in charge, do what they say. And I guarantee you at least 99% of the time you can go right back to, to how you've always done it or revert to that one knee down stance. If, if you're having success, they'll probably take the credit. You give them a high five and say, thanks coach. And that's it. Mm-hmm. The, the, all their theories are out the window because they didn't really have a theory. But if you go back to asking them why, I guarantee you when it comes back around, they'll be like, oh yeah, I'm glad he's doing that. We, we talked about that before. He had a good reason. And, and he'll the take the credit is, and just leave it. And yeah. the reality is like, He's he's not saying something to you like if you're doing it well, right? I mean, Correct. like at the end of the day, we got to be realistic too. Like, we're, you know, I tell guys all the time, I'm like, whatever stances, whatever, like we have to be factual in what works and what doesn't. So you don't get to just like 
you know, not be able to block eight balls on a knee and Correct. be like, yeah, but like I watched, ball doesn't you know, lie, right? I watched the guys on TV do it, you know, it's like, well, no, like what, he, he may be right. You know, like I, I'm, I'm not saying I'm, I'm trying to put you in a position to have all of these tools that you can use to help you be successful. But at the end of the day, like that guy, if he, he's only saying you can't do that because maybe you're not doing well and you got to figure out a way to, to be better. Right. Right. And I use Aaron judge and teacher man. I don't know if you. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. All right. Well, I'm going to, I've never said really anything about this live, but I, I want to explain something. Judge is six, eight and a half. He's a superhuman. He's being taught by a guy, whether he knows what he's talking about or not, doesn't matter. The fact is he's teaching someone that's superhuman that has more leverage than anyone in baseball, probably history. And he's teaching him how to hit rotational. Well, guess what? Him hitting rotational still has him in the zone longer than I could ever be in the zone if I crow hopped and swung. And kids chase that and they try to do this. And it's like, you can't do that. Like that worked for him because it gave him confidence. It kept him in a window that he needed to be in because he's got so much going on. He's so big. It's different. Mm -hmm. And that's what I don't think we look at enough is as, as players. I tell kids all the time, find yourself a comp and don't look at someone that's three, three feet taller than you or shorter than you. Look at somebody that looks like they're non-mobile. If you're non-mobile, look at somebody that's wiry. If you're wiry, look at somebody that's tall and skinny. If you're tall and skinny and see how they're moving, see what they're doing and then try to mimic some things there, or at least try it, especially, you know, behind the scenes with the machine, turn that machine up, crank it up. Can you actually move well enough to block? Is your mobility good enough? The testing of understanding isn't there until games start. That's what I, I really make sure with my guys. And I'm sure the same way is like, I'm like, catch every way, right knee down, left knee down, kickstand. I don't care if you do a split, whatever you got to do, change it up constantly, see how well you move. And then once the game goes, get to that comfort zone. Don't be predictable because I'll steal your pitches, but get to that comfort zone where you can block it, you can throw it, and you can present it. And if you can do that, I think everybody's going to be happy. It doesn't matter if they like it or don't. You're doing what you got to do. But if you're saying, oh, I, I got to do this one knee down because of so-and-so, and you're not actually to be able to complete the task, that's a problem, mm -hmm. right? So be able to move around. And being a guy that played hurt quite a few times in my career, if you can't adapt, you're going to have problems. When your knee gets stuck right in the middle of the pitch coming, you have to change. You have to adapt. You have to do things differently. And I know that's an extreme version, but if you can think those extremes like I started with today, it's going to help you so much. And I think Deion Sanders says it the best about practice. Your highlights should be in practice. Then the game should slow down. And I think that happens at a young age more than it does at an older age because once you get to pro ball, once you get to college, especially now, it's go time. A lot of the, the, the meat and potatoes that you've needed to eat and, and digest and grow with are gone once you get to college. You don't have that chance anymore, especially if you go to a big college. And if you get in a pro ball, it's live or die, unless you're a first rounder. It's live or die. You better start moving really fast or have some elite skill that they're just grasping onto and trying to put their name on, or you're going to have problems because you're not going to have the opportunity or the bats or the you know, chances that most guys would have with money behind their name. And it's, you know, I think like Tiger Woods always says, you know, practice hard, play easy. That's like, Truth. you know, literally sometimes we'd like, you know, guys will come in for, you know, our, our group stuff and it's just like, Hey man, the machines are fired up. Like it's going to be, it's going to be freaking hard, man. Like let's, let's see how you do. Let's see how yeah. you receive these, you know? And it's like, and I got to like, you know, explain to them. It's like, the reality is like my job, like I can't come in here and just give you cookies all the time. Like, you know, I, I have to, we have to find where we need to improve. We have to find where we're struggling and, you know, like just embracing that failure. And it's like, it's dude, it's, it's a super, super challenge nowadays. Cause, cause they're just in this mode of like, you know, I need, I need a real good clip to throw on my social media. So I'm going to put, you know, this and that, and like, you know, make it, it's like, dude, like every, every, it's like, it's just like anything. I mean, we know as adults now too, right? Like when you start to get older and it's like, you, you grew up and like everybody on Facebook's like, Hey, you know, like excited, had a great time. Like, Oh, here's me and my you know husband. We're super happy. And it's like, then it's like a year later, you find out they're divorced and you're like, uh, yeah. well, hang on a second. What the hell? Right. So they live in this kind of like fake world where it's like, dude, you have to embrace the shit, man. Like you just got to embrace it and figure out how to get out of it. Uh, vulnerability is the greatest form of courage to ever live. Dude, 
I talk about vulnerability all the time. I think it's one of the most incredible things as a, as a coach. I, I, it's important to me that I'm vulnerable as a coach so that they see it. And I go, Hey, you know what? Well said, well said, man. I think I fucked up. You know, I think, I think I was wrong when we did that drill the other day. I think that was not what we needed to do for you. Let's, let's adjust. Right. And immediately they can kind of go like, Oh shit. Like even he's he's not, he's not perfect. You know, like he's some guru that like fuck is supposed to know everything. Like, no, I don't know everything, man. I'm learning right along with you. Right. Like, you know, we're going to, we're going to have some time, but dude, I'm that fired me up when you said that. Cause that to me is something that coaches hold on to way too much is like the, 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 I'm the dictator. I have to be the right way. I have to be the example of like how to be tough and strong. I'm like, but tough and strong, like, like tough and strong people are vulnerable. Like that they gotta, they gotta see that side of it too. Yeah. That's why I, I have a big belief. And I, when I spoke at the catching con in 2018, I spoke on this as like, if you're going to say it, you better do it. And there, there's a point of where like you're Jerry Weinstein, which he still does just about all the stuff that he says. Um, but you, you just physically can't, but until you can't, you should be doing it. So mm-hmm. like, if you're going to be stronger and whatever, like then show them. Right. And <clears throat> there's times where I'm like, I have no idea how this is going to go, but I jump back there and I, I block, I, I catch and the respect you get, whether you do well or not, sometimes it works out to my favor and I look like an absolute wizard. Other times I look like a complete moron, <laughs> but either way, it's a teaching opportunity. Because I can say, yeah, this went well because I've been doing it, you know, behind the scenes. You guys didn't know. And this went bad because I'm human and, you know, I, I messed up and I made a mistake, which you were going to do a thousand times to be great. And like you said, if you can be that vulnerable, I think it just, it elevates these kids and it allows them to be vulnerable. And some of the greatest uh, moments in my career have been having guys be vulnerable to me and, and seeing them elevate their life, not baseball. You know, like they're really dealing with something in life. Nobody sees it. I'll never forget. I was working with this kid and his family was going through a lot and he was actually cutting himself. Had no clue, dude. No clue. We're sitting in the cage and I see his arms and I'm like, man, what is going on? We just sat there for two hours and chopped it up. And he didn't know it. His family didn't know it. They still don't know it. He doesn't know why it happened, but that's what he defaulted to. And he grew that day. And Mm -hmm. then it wasn't too much longer that something else bad happened to him and he was able to deal with that and it made him stronger and better. And I think some of the toughest things in life can just make you that much better if you're willing to just face it. Mm-hmm. And too often in our society, we just won't, we don't want to be vulnerable. We don't want to be seen when, when things are going bad. Instead, it's like, no dude, like right now I'm not in the shape I want to be in. I tell people all the time, like I'm fat, like you're not fat. I'm like, I'm fat. In my, in my mind, I'm fat. If I can't do all the things I want to do, and not be incredibly miserable the next day, then I'm in a bad place for me. So whatever version of that is for you, that's fine. But I'm talking about me. But people want to push that away and not allow that to happen. Like, if I say that, I mean it. You know, and that's that's where we should be at in society. Just listen to what they're saying or watch what they're doing. They're going to tell you a lot more than you think. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I mean, the, the dive into the, the personality stuff today has been freaking awesome with you, man. I, I appreciate you coming on. I got one last question mm-hmm. that I do with everybody along your journey of baseball, minor leagues, college, big leagues, whatever. I need you to tell me one place that sticks out in your mind, a place to eat. Ooh, man. Carnivore, Milwaukee, Milwaukee, carnivore. They put, yeah. They put a fried egg. On a delicious steak. Oh my. Yeah. Yeah. Milwaukee is a sleeper town. If nobody's ever told you that, it's a sleeper town. Um, I was a big breakfast dude, and there's a lot of good breakfast places, but that that place will forever have a place in my heart because when that egg came out, it was just like looking at me mm. on that 30 ounce steak. Love you know, it. Every everything in my life just felt, you know. I could have gone. I could have gone to heaven at that moment. Like I'm good. I'm, I'm good. I do now. love. I love the egg on like a burger. Like Me that, too. You I'm know, a huge so fan. same deal. So like that is like very enticing. Like if I'm getting, well, I mean, I, I'm I'm just like eat breakfast is like my. I love. Like I get eat breakfast. Sometimes it's like get home and I'm home late from work or something. I'm like, dude, I'm just gonna cook some bacon and eggs right now. Like yeah. sounds amazing, you know. But like the egg, there's just something about that that fires me up. I'm definitely gonna have to uh, to check that one out. 
Yeah. And I feel like when you ask that question, it's kind of like where you're at in your life. Like right now I'm just into the steak. I just got a Traeger. I'm really into cooking those things. So, oh, yeah. you know, just thinking about it, it's making me salivate. Oh, so appreciate love it. it. Well, <laughs> if you're ever out this way, let's grab a steak. Done. Done. Vice versa. If you're ever out in Pittsburgh or anywhere near it, holler. I want to bring you to the stadium, show you around, whatnot. Cool. And sounds great. One thing I would, I, I was going to, I was going to say about, um, kids and especially since you're out in California is I don't think often enough, like my high school right now, I think is ranked fifth or sixth in the country. And I tell those guys all the time, you're fifth or sixth in the country, but you don't understand what those other guys are because you can't, you can't fathom being in California, Arizona or Florida and being able to play year round and, and being able to, you know, feel the way they feel the competition's completely different on a consistent basis. So yeah, because of where you're signing and everything else, but like when you really chop it up and get after it with these guys, it's a different animal. So I, I tell kids all the time, go out and find what's out there, get outside your realm and see what's out there because you'll be, you'll be amazed. And you're like, Oh, my numbers are better than him, but who's he playing against? Who's he facing on a consistent basis? It's completely different when you really go out and look because that'll get you prepared for that next level and then the next level and then the next level. As long as you continue to look at what's next, what am I competing against moving forward? We don't do that enough in life. I'll tell you this. I'll give you the, I'll give you the, the opposite side of that spectrum. Okay. Okay. Cause I have, obviously I've grown up here in California, lived here, but I lived in Canada for three years and worked in a baseball academy up there. Okay. And Canada. <laughs> so, I mean, sometimes we can be a victim of good weather and that sounds, you know, true. Terrible, well said, right? well said. But like, you know, and I'm not, you know, calling coaches lazy, but I'm calling coaches lazy. <laughs> the idea that like they can just go sign up for a tournament, sit on a bucket mm. and, you know, is a lot more appealing than like getting in the dirt and actually like training guys and, and getting, getting better. So like when I was in this academy in Canada, it was like we had four months out of the year, essentially, like we literally couldn't go outside. So it was like, obviously, you know, body strength and conditioning was big. We'd like, could actually be like, Hey, remember that little adjustment we wanted to make with your swing? Like, let's do it now. We've got four months. Let's make the mm. adjustment. Hey, let's ramp up arms. Guys are like, I want to add another pitch. Great. Let's try to do a cutter and see if we can get it, you know, but it's like, you have, you know, we did like mental toughness days and things like that, but we had four months to like, Again, just like professionals, like you have four months to like figure out how you're going to be ready for the next year. And here, man, I mean, it's crazy. They play tournaments. They play all the way until the middle of December. And then like last weekend, they're playing, you know, Martin Luther King Jr. tournament in January. And I'm just like, dude, like at what point are we just going to like, let's just stop. Let's just train. Like, let's end the year and go, what am I going to attack this year? I'm just going to do that. But it's like, if you go, yeah, I've really been needing to make this like little change in my hands and my swing. And then it's like, but I'm going to have 12 at bats this weekend. So like, I got to just figure out how to hit. And like, mm -hmm. you never, you're never going through the process of actually developing. So I think there is a benefit sometimes to just having to shut it down. And if you have the resources of like indoor facilities and training and things like that, like to just train, I think is massively important. Bro, I couldn't have said it any better myself. That would have been, we should cut that out. And, and save that because it's so important because you can use anything at your disposal to your benefit if you want to. And that is well said. It's one last thing and I'll, I'll let you go. I always say, I wish there was a developmental league mm -hmm. so guys can get, just go and fail. Think about zero how much, stats, zero scoreboard, just like, zero, let's just go, let's go. Yeah. Yeah. Like all the things that you've wanted, it's, it's almost like independent baseball, but backwards. Instead it's like of fall. It's like fall ball in exactly. college, right? Where exactly. it's like, hey, dude, like I'm gonna, th you're gonna throw eighty percent changeups today because like you need to work on your changeup, and like you got guys in inner squads like getting drilled by changeups, and the catchers like did it, but it's like, mm -hmm. but he's got to figure it out. But if he's trying to win the Martin Luther King Jr. tournament, like he can't, <laughs> he can't do that because coach <laughs> needs him to throw his best freaking pitches, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that, I, I think there's something to be said. You have to be able to fail to win. Absolutely. So, Let's start stuff. it. Let's figure it out. Absolutely. I, I, I've often wondered how it'd work. I, I think you got to figure out the level it would work because it's going to cost money and these people are going to have to pay money to do it. But yeah, I think it'd be brilliant. And the place out in California, think about it. 
guys fighting to be in major league baseball or, or just professional baseball in general, they really have nowhere to go now. That's not owned by MLB. So even when they go to independent ball, all those teams are now owned by MLB. So there's really not an opportunity for them to go somewhere and try to figure some things out and then have a scout day, unless you go to driveline or something like mm-hmm. that. But even that, I mean, it's, it's not the same animal because we're the hitters, right? And where, where, you have an opportunity to, to go catch and figure it out, like with real velocity and real opportunity to, to fail and get thumbed, yeah. you know, and then try to figure out how to hit the next day. You just don't. So, yeah. And I think like the sad part is, is that like, it seems to me like it, in the landscape of, you know, uh, even college, but like lower, like it's a, it's a lose, lose proposition because you, you say if, if somebody says, Hey, we're going to do full development, you got a bunch of kids and parents that are like, yeah, but like, I want my tournaments in Arizona and like, we want to go on the road and have fun and like do all this stuff. And then you have the guys that like, Hey, we're just going to play games. And it's like, well, you know, I need to develop and like get better. And so it's, it's, it's a, it's just a battle that it just seems like you can't, you know, completely win because it doesn't seem like there's an actual solution at times. And it's so frustrating. That's why we just try to stay in the middle of just training them. And like, everyone's always like, Oh, you should start teams. I'm like, dude, no shot. Like there's no chance. I'm like putting myself in that game. It's like, I just want to prepare them. I want to be the middleman. I want them to trust me to help them make the decisions outside of the shop. But at the end of the day, it just seems like a, like there's not a right answer to this whole deal anymore. I, I agree, but I'm with you. Like, I'd rather be the middleman or the some the someone behind the scenes, you know, that doesn't have to be out in front, be in Arizona at the at the tournaments, you know, patty caking and all those mm-hmm. things that they do. It's just, it's not fun. But I, I think where I would go is you have to find the right people, the 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 go getters, the gritty uh, dudes that want it. Those are the guys that would would sign up and and go all in and say, what do I have to do? And that's, that's the mindset I would have behind that developmental league. It wouldn't be, you know, anybody can come. Maybe, maybe they have to write a letter or something. There was a Mm -hmm. thing I was going to do a while back with uh, a guy and you have to write in a letter to spend a week with him and his, I guess, buddies. And they take you out in the woods and I guess it's life changing, but you have to write a letter to even be, you know, able to show up and they pick out of thousands of letters. I think that's where it would be cool. It's like, hey, this that guy way. wants this so bad. Like, look, yeah, let's do it. Why not? Yeah, we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. I like it. Sounds good, man. I super appreciate you being on, dude. I have a ton of valuable information. I think a lot of coaches and players are going to take from this. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me anytime. And uh, I, I, love, I love the mind you have too. So keep it up. Awesome, man. Thank you. Thank you. If you enjoyed that, be sure to like and subscribe. We'll have a new episode for you every single Tuesday here on our YouTube channel and wherever you listen to podcasts. Bye. <laughs>